Romans chapter 1, and if you're there, please stand with me and let us read the word of our Lord together, or stand together. Borrowing those last four words of verse 4, the word of God says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for already blessing us with just the privilege of coming before you in prayer as a body this morning. I'm so thankful that your spirit works within us. And I'm so thankful, Father, for this privilege to gather before you corporately as a body, not just in prayer, but in song in a few moments and in the preaching of your word. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would help us in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think to be found pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would sanctify our offering of worship this morning and make it suitable and pleasing in your sight. Father, I pray for all of us that we would be given ears to hear and that we would humbly and joyfully and thankfully respond to the word of God in faith. And I pray for myself, Father, that through the power of the Spirit that you would grant me words that make sense, that have the power to penetrate our hearts and the power to change us more and more into the image of your glorious Son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Lord willing, we're going to finish uh, these first 15 verses this morning. But there are three things about the life of the Apostle Paul that are very important here. And if we'll pay attention, they will instruct us in regard to our lives. The first thing that I want to talk about, and I'll probably talk more about this than any other, is Paul's mission or Paul's purpose, what it was that God called him to do and how he went about doing it. 
Secondly, is equally important, but it's simple, so I won't spend as much time there, and it's Paul's motivation. You have to have something to keep you going and going and going. You have to have somewhere to go, specifically someone to go to, in order to be motivated to be faithful all along the way. And I'll just tell you right now, most of the time we go to the wrong place. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the reason why Paul did all that he did. He had one goal, one thing that he was after every day in every circumstance. There was one thing that Paul went after. And when we learn to reduce our lives down to this one thing, life becomes a lot simpler for us all. Now, all of these things are up under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's why I divide these passages up four through 15. I haven't found anyone else to do that. But this is the way that I understand the Spirit is writing this letter. And so I want to put all these things up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's dive into Paul's mission. And there's two things about his mission that you need to understand because this will help you understand your purpose in the kingdom of God. First of all, your purpose is given by the Lord. And then secondly, it's governed by the Lord. Now, we've already looked at this a number of times if you'll notice back with me in verse four and verse five, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul says in verse five, through whom the Lord is through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And this is where we wound up last week. And so this is where I'll get us going this week. The day that Paul was converted to Christ was the day that Paul was called to be an apostle for Christ. Right. We talked about this issue that there is no such thing as purposeless grace you don't have to turn there, but the Lord says back in Acts 26, 16, when he knocked Paul off a horse and made him blind, these are the first words that the Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul. He said, get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister of the gospel. And we said it wasn't a choice for Paul. The Lord didn't ask him to pray about it. He didn't ask him to consider it. He simply said, I have appointed you to this task. And Paul understood back up in Romans verse five that it was to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. I think it's better translated obedience of faith among all the nations. Now, I realize that phrase and some of you are already quivering on your inside. You need to address obedience of faith. And I will. But I'm not going to this morning because we'll be here at great length and I'm going to save that for another week or two. But I want you to understand that this was what the Apostle Paul was called to. And this is what defined the life of the Apostle Paul. And there we need to sit for a minute. The calling that the Lord placed on Paul's life defined Paul's life. Now. If Tyler can put it up there, I'm not sure. Colossians 1 verse 25. Well on into the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he begins to speak about this calling. And I want to read to you these few passages here, verses 25 through 29, so that you can see how this settled in his heart. Paul says of this church. Now, he's not speaking about the church at Colossae. He's not talking about a particular church. He's talking about the church of God at large, the true church, the bride of Christ. The church that will be recognized in revelations. OK, there are no false believers in this church. It's made up of genuine believers from beginning to end. Paul says of that church, 
I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Notice, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from ages past and generations, but now has been made known or manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make it known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he literally just summed up the gospel there. But I want you to pay attention to these last two verses. Notice what Paul says about this stewardship. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now notice two words here. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Now that word labor literally means to grow weary. Paul says in regard to the job or the purpose or the mission to which God gave me, I have worn myself to the bone. I picked it up and I carried it until I came to the point of complete exhaustion. And then he uses the second word striving and it literally means a contest. I've been struggling in this contest the whole way. It's been a struggle. It's wearied me, but I have yet to stop fighting. And so Paul, again, allowed the mission of God to define his entire life. And of course, we know the conclusion of Paul's life. Second Timothy four, Paul writes to Timothy, I've already been poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That was his epitaph, if you will, on his headstone. I got it. I ran with it. And I died with it. And I was faithful the whole way. Now here's the question for us. What have you allowed to define your life? And I want you to think about that a minute. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot it down and think about it some more. You know, we often allow things to define our life that are of this world. And let me ask you, why would you ever do that since this world is passing away? Oftentimes we let our jobs define our life. We let our hobbies define our life. We let our passions define our life. We let relationships define our life. We let worry or stress define our life. And all of those things are going to pass away either at death or at the return of Christ. Why would you let something that's not going to last define your time here on earth? For the Apostle Paul, it was solely what the Lord had given him to do. And I'll talk more about this as, as I get into this. And, and I'll say this very clearly. God hasn't given you the task that he gave to the Apostle Paul. It's not going to be like that. And even if you, you go to the plant and work 60 hours a week like Tyler does most of the time, he doesn't have to work to find his life. He can still allow the glory of God to define his life as he works. Don't misunderstand me. You have to work. You have to be involved in relationships. It's good to participate sometimes in the things that you enjoy doing, but all of it needs to be done with one purpose in mind, and that's the glory of God. 
Now, you've got two struggles here and, and you may just be aware of one struggle, but I'll share with you, too. Some of you is like, I don't even know what the Lord's called me to do. You say that when he called me, he he equipped me and he gave me a purpose and a mission to serve in the kingdom of God. And that's very true. But I don't know what that is. So that's your first struggle of what that is. And I'll help you as we go along with this to help figure that out. But there's a greater struggle than that, because I know my purpose. And I've known it now for, I guess, 15 or 20 years or more. And I still struggle every day to make it the purpose or the defining thing in my life. Because there's so many other things that I get distracted with. I'm terrible. I'm like a squirrel. I see this over here and all of a sudden I'm just all into this thing and I figure out some new thing I want to do. And I get all into this thing and the Lord's constantly just... If the Lord has hair, he's pulled every bit of it out because of me. It's a struggle, not just to figure it out, but it's a greater struggle to stay on the course and finish the course and be faithful the whole way. Now, as I said, I don't want you to confuse Paul's mission with your mission necessarily. Because without question, Paul's mission has become the mission of the church at large. I know you're very familiar with Matthew 28. Tyler, if you'll put that up for us. Matthew 28, 18, the Lord spoke to his disciples saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now listen, Paul received apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. That sounds a lot like Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so Paul's mission, Paul's mission has become our mission as a church. And it's not even that hard. I mean, the Lord told us exactly how to do it. Baptizing and teaching. And you can't separate those two things. They're not meant to be separated. Some people say, well, baptizing is evangelism, is teaching, is discipleship. But those are two sides of the same coin. Paul didn't look at it the way that we look at it. Like so many missionaries that I know look at it and they look at it wrongly. They want to just go into a particular area, evangelize, get people to make decisions for Christ. And then they roll out. Well, you've done half your job. Because if you want to be faithful to the text, you'll sit down, settle down, share the gospel and teach them everything that the Lord has commanded us. And so Paul's mission has become the mission of the church. And this mission ought to define the church in so many ways. It ought to be the plumb line behind everything that we do. Someone around here needs to constantly ask the question, is this helping us to make disciples of the nations? If not, then why are we doing it? You know, the church can get easily distracted, too. Well, let me back up. People in the church can get easily distracted, too, because there's so many good things to do. And we can get so busy doing so many good things. But at the end of the day, the only question is, are we being faithful to the task to make disciples of all nations? Because if we're not doing that, we're not being faithful to the purpose for which we've been called. Now, when you get to I'll move from Paul to the church now to you. 
When I get to you, let me speak specifically to you about your personal mission or your personal ministry. There's so many people within the church that want to define that for you. And very few things irk me so bad than somebody putting a guilt trip on you. For instance, I've been to many missions conferences. Did God make us all missionaries? You go to these things and they say something in, in this way or in line with this thinking. If you're not involved in missions, you're being disobedient. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Now, I agree with that if I'm speaking to the church at large, but I don't agree with that if I'm speaking to you as an individual. Not in the context that we think of Tyler and Wallace or Cody and Laura or anything like that. That is not for everybody. You need to get that through your head. And just because you're not going does not mean that you're unfaithful. I can pick any epistle I want to in the New Testament and I'll show you how the Apostle Paul is instructing the church on how to be godly, not how to go. Now, again, it is the purpose of the church and it is the purpose of some individuals within the church. I praise God that we've sent three families out of this church for the sake of the gospel ministry. And I pray he does more. But I'll never tell you if you're not going, you're being unfaithful. What I will tell you is I praise God for you, for this church has been faithful to the task. But we got to finish. As long as we're here, we have to be faithful to missions. Second thing is you go to evangelism conference. Did God make us all evangelists? They say things like this. If you're not sharing your faith, you're not of the faith. I have heard that, by the way. But I find it fascinating in 2 Timothy verse 4. Paul actually tells Timothy, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. And I'm asking myself, why did you have to tell Timothy that? Does Timothy not know if he doesn't share his faith? He's not of the faith. Now, I can't answer the question of why Paul had to tell Timothy that, but I can answer the question why the Lord has to tell me that, because I'm not simply wired that way. I actually have to remind myself, come on, Joy, share your faith. Joy, wake up. Here's an opportunity. When the Lord created me and the Lord gifted me, it had to do with the teaching and the preaching of his word. I've literally had one phrase running through my mind almost the entirety of his week for his name's sake. I even want to create a T-shirt because I've been trying to figure out how that phrase works into everything in my life. And I'm convinced we need to figure that out. For his name's sake. And at the same time, I can, I can be thinking about that phrase and meeting a stranger anywhere and everywhere at the gas pump and it not even dawn on me. He probably doesn't even know who you're talking about if you said for his name's sake. So let's just start with the gospel. At the same time, there's some of you that I praise God for because you can't shut up when you meet a stranger because you just want to tell them about Jesus. Talked to a friend of mine just the other day. He said, every time I pump gas, I start the pump and I walk over to the next station. He said, I just start in with the gospel. I just praise God for you. 
Because God has uniquely gifted some people in that way and they're tremendous at it. And I think we have some in this church and I pray that there'd be more of us like that at this church. But all of us need to be reminded to share the gospel. But at the same time, it's not going to come from guilt. I'm not going to tell you if you're not sharing your faith, you're not of the faith. I will tell you as you have opportunity, pray for them. And be faithful in that. You know, Ephesians 4 puts it this way, in case you may be disagreeing with me at this point. Ephesians 4 says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now, I realize we don't have apostles and prophets anymore, but at what point are we going to start this list as people we do have? Pastors and teachers, we do have, and they're not everybody. And I'm convinced that evangelists are in the same boat, even though we all need to be faithful. Let me throw another one on you that I've heard as well about personal ministry missions. And it actually comes from foster care. Did God make us all foster parents? If you're not involved in foster care, you don't care. That's not fair. But let me tell you what the Lord has done in this church. Let me see. There's five. There's three, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12. That's something. In a body this size, 12. That's something. But let me say this. It's not for all of y'all. But as a church, we're being faithful. Now, I would say this. Keep the door open. Keep the door open to what? Everything I just mentioned. Never say I'm not going to because if you've known the Lord very long, you, you know you just messed up. You know. I actually said I will never pastor an American church. Never. I'm a little over nine years into this. Don't do that. But at the same time, say, Lord, here I am. You want me to bring some kids into my home, then praise God, just give me the strength to do it. You want me to go to the mission field? Uh, Praise God, just please, you're going to have to help. That's all I ask. So in regard to whatever it is that God has called you, let me say this, it actually does need to define you. It, It really does. And I can whittle it down for you. It's going to have something to do with worship and service, that beautiful word, latruo. It's going to have something to do with the worship and service of God. It is certainly something. It is definitely not nothing. God didn't save you so you could just go to heaven and enjoy eternity. That was not the plan. God saved you to worship and serve Steve translates this word, worshipful service. That ought to define your life. I don't know what it is, but worshipful service should define who we are as the people of God. Now, not only is it given to us by the Lord, let me go on. It's also governed by the Lord. Look back at verse five, if you will. Actually, those last four words will do this. Jesus Christ, our Lord through whom we have received. Now, my wife usually throws me conversations sometimes and they send me into a dark hole trying to figure it out. But she started a conversation, one this week, that that sent me there. 
And it was about salvation. Because we were raised with this idea that salvation was solely a choice. It was a decision. You need to make it. And it was all based around that. And whether it said this or not, this is what's communicated. God has done all that he's going to do. And now the rest is up to you. And the problem with that is that you're ignoring the sovereignty of God and your salvation. We've worked through 15 verses in the book of Romans, the first 15 verses, and not one thing has been left up to you. God made Paul an apostle and he set him apart for the gospel of God and he didn't ask him if he wanted to do it. God called us. He made us a part of the beloved and he made us saints. Didn't ask you if anything, if, if you wanted any part of that. You work your way all the way down through the first 15 verses and you see the sovereignty of God in salvation. Not once has he said you need to choose or you need to decide. Now, I've told you before, when that's in the text, I'll preach it. But we just went through 15 verses and there is no hint of personal responsibility in any of this. It's the sovereignty of God. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. If you're under the impression that salvation is solely a decision, what are you going to do when it comes to service and worship? Well, I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. You know, it's pretty outside. It's raining. I believe I'll stay home. Well, they got something that they want done at the church. Somebody needs to go to Thailand or somebody needs to go here. And somebody, I don't know. I don't know if I want I'm busy. I work all the time. Somewhere along the line, we've come up under the idea that all of us, all of this is just up to us. I'll get saved when I want to get saved. I'll serve when I want to serve. I'll go worship when I want to worship. And that's not communicated in the Bible. Your salvation had everything to do with the sovereignty of God from beginning to end. And your worship and your service does. So you need to get over this idea of whether or not you're going to decide. You know, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 28, whoever this wonderful writer was, puts it this way. And I want you to listen to these words. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom through salvation, which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude or thanksgiving so that we may offer to God an acceptable latruo service or worship. Let us offer him acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then he closes with this phrase, for our God is a consuming fire. Such an interesting thought. Why would he say, let us offer to God acceptable worship for our God is a consuming fire unless there needed to be a hint of warning about our worship and service? Why would he say, you know, you, you need to decide whether or not you want to worship God or not, because our God is a consuming fire. That doesn't even work. Basically, because our God is a consuming fire, you better come before him with acceptable worship and service. That's the idea in Hebrews. It's not a choice. I've told you this before. It's an absolute privilege to walk through those doors and listen to the prayers that these men prayed this morning, that's a privilege. And personally, that'll probably be the highlight of my week. It's a privilege to gather as the people of God before God and worship. Privilege. 
not a decision. You've been saved for it and you've been called to it. Worshipful service. Look at the language Paul uses. Look at you're in Romans. Look at verse one. Paul, a bond servant of Christ, literally a slave. All privileges, all choices, all freedoms out the window. I'm a slave of Christ. Look at verse nine. For God whom I serve, there's that word latruo, worshipful service, for my God whom I serve in my spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Look at verse 14. I am under obligation. That's not the word that makes us think of a decision. In fact, it's absolutely opposite. It literally is translated, I'm indebted. And that word we don't like. I'm in debt to the Lord. Why is Paul in debt to the Lord? Because he's saved him and he's called him to the kingdom of God. And let me speak about this just one second. I'm indebted both to Greeks and barbarians. You know, the the known world of the day was all Greek culture. And those who are not under the influence of Greek culture was known as barbarian. It's no slang term there. And then he says, I'm indebted both to the wise people who have been educated and to the foolish, literally uneducated people. And Paul came across some of those when he'd land on an island out in the middle of the sea and they would begin to worship Paul because they think he was a God. They were uneducated. But Paul says, if they've been created in the image of God, I owe it to God to proclaim the gospel of God to them. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. If you can't preach to everybody, you can't preach to anybody. That hurt. But that was Paul. He's indebted. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach. And here's my point of this. May we understand our service to the Lord in exactly the same way. Whatever you're doing in service to the kingdom, may you understand it in that way. I'm indebted. I'm indebted to the Lord. Now, in the same line of thinking, while we serve the Lord, we need to remain sensitive and submissive to the sovereign guiding hand of God. And this is a, you just can't leave these things out. Notice with me in verse nine. Notice how how Paul is sensitive and submissive to the sovereignty of God. Verse nine, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in prayer, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. That's how Paul served the Lord. It was always by the will of the Lord. The will of God defined the details for Paul. You know, in Acts 18, we won't turn there. Paul left Ephesus and this is what he said. I will return to you again if God wills. First Corinthians 419, Paul writes, I'll come to you soon if the Lord wills. And you know what? You think Paul would always get a yes from the Lord. But it wasn't always yes. Romans 113. Again, look down there with me. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, but I have been prevented so far. What prevented him? That's not the question. Who prevented him? And it was the Lord. Acts 16, Luke writes this about the Apostle Paul. It says, Paul passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. After they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And you're like, what do I do with all this? This is what you do with this. 
The Lord is sovereign over the particular places and particular times that we will serve him. That's what you do with this. The Lord is sovereign over our times and our places, and we have to be sensitive to those things. I think, Tyler, if you will, you have James 4. I know Travis has taught us this. Remember what James says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will also do this or do that. You see, we have to learn to live submissive to the way of the Lord. You remember how long it took Tyler and Wallace to get to the field? Let me strongly encourage you, do not make things happen. Be patient and wait on the Lord. That's faith, by the way. Waiting on the Lord. Now, we can't be fatalistic in regard to the sovereignty of God. And I have a tendency to do this. I'm so comfortable in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes I find myself doing nothing and we were not called to do nothing. Okay, look at verse nine. Here's the first thing you must be doing while you're waiting for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel. The son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God, we may come to you. Paul, this, this is confusing, is it not? God is absolutely sovereign, and yet Paul never stopped praying. But here's the deal. When there are things that we know we are to do, we are to pray and pray and pray until God gives us the opportunity to do those things. It's interesting. Y'all remember the Lord granted me the opportunity to speak to the football teams there for, I guess, I don't know, three years, something like that. And I had been praying for opportunities to share the gospel with lost, praying and praying and praying. He's like, okay, here's three years. And he gave me that opportunity. But I had to wait on that opportunity, right? So that's how we don't just shove our hands in our pockets and go, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. No, there's things that we ought to be doing and we have to pray that God will give us the opportunity. And not just that, look again at verse 13. Romans 1 13, I don't want you to be unaware that often I have planned to come to you. And by the way, planned is in the middle voice. <clears throat> Excuse me, we won't have this in English. It literally means I planned myself. I planned to come all by myself. But yet the Lord prevented me from coming. So we have to be careful here. All of our plans must be submitted and subjected to the will of God, yet we're called to make plans. Now, I've got a great example for you from some people you know. Tyler and Wallace prayed, prepared, planned, and waited. And that's how we're to do while we're waiting on God to move. We pray, we prepare, and we plan, and then we wait. Now, let me move on. As I said, it gets easy now. Paul's motivation. And, and I find this absolutely fascinating because it seems as though human beings are constantly in need of motivation. Just think of how many people are making a living being some sort of motivational speaker to help you get in shape and lose weight. 
We got motivational speakers just to send you a text every day and just to encourage you as a human being. And these people are making a living at this stuff. We long for motivations. We long for good motivational speakers and we'll subscribe to them. And we just live for that great halftime speech that's going to get us up off the couch and help us get through another day. In fact, pulpits have become nothing more than just motivational uh, preaching and speaking to try to get you fired up to do something. Well, let me tell you, that is not a good place because when you need it the most, you will not find it. There's one person that is to be your sole motivator. Look in verse 4, and I'll show you exactly who it is. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace. I tried to show you last week that all you are, all you have, all that you'll enjoy in heaven is due to what God has done through his son. And that alone is to be your motivation. So because of what he's done, we're motivated to respond in every circumstance with faithful, loving worship and service. Tyler, you have 2 Corinthians 5. Did I give that one for you, to you? Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ constrains us or controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, verse 15, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He died so you'd stop living for yourself. And he died so you'd stop, start living for his glory and not your own. Now, let me tell you, Tyler and Wallace are there right now. Everyone I've asked to pray, I've asked y'all to pray about discouragement. Because it gets thick when you're over there by yourself. And the only place that you can find genuine biblical encouragement to continue to be faithful at the task is from the Lord himself. My wife and I found ourselves in the same boat when we were out in the Northwest. Guy stood up and just railed on me in front of an entire church how awful I was. Now you can imagine in that moment I felt like I had failed because I'd been there two years. And there was only one place to go. It does very little good to call your mom and ask her if she still loves you. You have to get on your knees and ask God to light a fire in your soul because you you're just trying to blow it out. Our motivation for everything that we do comes from the gracious hand of God. Just ask him for it. And he will fill you up. I want you to notice that this motivation just fuels us to continue. Look at verse 9 and you'll see exactly where I'm talking about. Paul makes this interesting phrase in verse 9. For God whom I serve in my spirit. Now, a lot of people get weird with this, but we've just walked through on Wednesday nights what this means. And if you recall, Old Testament, New Testament, there is no division of man. Paul's not saying, well, I serve him in my spirit and I sin in my flesh. That's not what that means. Paul is trying to communicate with every ounce of my being. I serve the Lord. 
with everything that I am within me, without me, I serve the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I cannot encourage you enough. This is where we all must be because this is where you find joy. If you don't want to find joy, go serve yourself. It's miserable trying to find something to make you happy. But if you want joy from the inside out, you'll find it in serving the Lord because joy comes from the Lord. Right. And so you find it when you've let go of yourself and you serve him with all that you are. Look down in verse 15 and I'll move to the last point. Notice what he says. So for my part, I'm eager to preach. You know how many times this guy had gotten beaten up for preaching? By this point in his life, he can't walk. He's got a traveling physician, Luke, to take care of his needs. He's preached, he's beaten, he's preached, he's beaten, he's preached, he's beaten, he's preached, he's shipwrecked. And the old boy writes this letter here near the end of his life. And he says, I'm eager to preach. I'm like, where did you get that? Well, I'll tell you exactly where he got it. He got it from the Lord. It literally means I'm ready to go. Now, you can imagine a man absolutely worn out, bent double, scarred body, and his words are, let's go. I bet that gets Coots fired up. He tells me that all the time. Let's go. And that's the way we ought to be. That's the way we ought to live our Christian life. Let's go, dude. I'm ready. That's literally what he's saying. I'm eager to fulfill the task that the Lord gave me. Can you imagine if we all rolled up in here like that? You know, sometimes you do. I think you did last week. I was surprised y'all showed up Thursday because I'm thinking, ain't none of them going to come Thursday, Holly. <laughs> but you all keep showing up. I was more thankful for the 50-something workers than the 80 and 90 kids. I really was. Because that's a good indicator of the health of the church. And 50-something workers out of our size, that's really good. Let's go. Now, that's the mission. That's the motivation. And let me get to the goal. Look back with me in verse 5. Not a whole lot here. Well, just stay with me. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Last four words most important to me. For his name's sake. This is the ultimate focus. This is the ultimate goal of the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul for the sake of his name. And it must be ours as well. That's that little thing you need to hang on the mirror to look at when you brush your teeth before you go rolling out of the house for the sake of his name. That's the little thing you need to put on your cell phone. Every time you look at your phone, you'll see that for the screensaver for the sake of his name. That's a little thing you need to put somewhere on the dash of your car for the sake of his name. That's the thing when you husbands and you wives get home from work and you're about to interact with one another and you're exhausted and you're tired and the kids are screaming. And you remind yourself for the sake of his name so you'll treat your spouse with loving care. It's the thing that needs to motivate your life. Now here's the struggle. Living in a world fallen means that everyone is living for the sake of their own name. Adam and Eve sinned and that ensured that we would be born with an insatiable desire to glorify self. We live in a world that's torn apart by individuals who are passionately seeking to glorify themselves. 
Literally, everyone is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. We're living in that day once again. You think about this, right? And I could be critical of so many here. One group wants the right to express themselves sexually any way that they choose. Another group wants to express their gender any way that they choose. What was that at DeKalb County? One of the kids wanted to, to define themselves as cats. And the parents were arguing with the school board that they should put a litter box for their kid. See, that's the end of sin. We want to live for our own sake and we want to do what we think is right. Another group wants to put unborn children to death for their own sakes, for the sake of themselves. This is an unbelievable time. But the sad part is there's some within the church that do the exactly the same thing. I see this mistake at every level. Denominationally, the SBC is paying for some things right now because they wanted to hide some things to save face, to protect their name, and now it's out. And so here we go. I once was a part of a missionary, a missionary, a ministry that at the end there would be share time, testimony time. Now y'all listen, y'all think I don't like those, but hey, when they glorify God, they bless my heart. And when they don't glorify God and they glorify someone or something else, they make me sick to my stomach. But so we'd have closing testimony time and they would stand up and say, I thank God for this ministry. And I'm just like, no, no. I praise God for the sake of his name. All the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to a ministry. It doesn't go to a man. And by the way, pastors are worse because they're always trying to put their face on some poster and get their name out so they can speak somewhere. And I imagine Jeremy musicians struggle with the same thing. They want to be for the sake of their name and they want to make a name for themselves. Audrey used to have on her wall, and I forget one of the Puritans who said this, preach the gospel and die. That's it. It is not for the sake of our name. It is for the sake of his name and his glory. And by the way, since you have kids, let me warn you, be very, very, very careful. They already want to live for the sake of their name. Don't you do that too. There's a dragon in them, precious little kids. Don't pet it. And it will want to be for their own glory. Don't you make it for their glory either. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul does. Track with me. I'll have you to turn to one. But I want you to just see the Apostle Paul. Romans 16. Tyler, can you put that up here? I've got a few passages as an example and then we're, we're finished. So just keep your minds alert. I want you to I want, watch this. Watch Paul here. This is the conclusion of Romans. All right. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to the nations, that's the gospel, leading to the obedience of faith, there's that phrase again, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory. Paul, why did you write Romans? For the glory of God. That's why I wrote that letter. That's amazing to me. Why did you write Romans? So they'd know who you are? 
so they would know that you're the guy who pretty much penned the gospel so that you could come. No, I wrote the letter for the glory of God, period. Everything the man did, he did for the glory of God. Even his own life. Look at Philippians 1. This is equally amazing. Philippians 1, verse 15 through 18. Paul's in prison, let me remind you. And he writes these words. Some to be sure are preaching Christ even from a point of envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. It didn't matter. And I don't know how they were doing it. But some were preaching Christ in a way as to keep the Apostle Paul in prison. And Paul's like, I really don't care. It's not about me. It's about him and his glory. So since I'm in prison, he goes on, I praise God for the advancement of the gospel, even though I'm sitting in prison. Look what Christ is doing. He's glorifying his name, even from among those who are behaving in wicked ways. I don't care. Christ is glorified. See, it wasn't just everything that he did. It was everything that he was to the glory of God. Now, the last passage, Revelation 19 I think I gave Tyler this as well. Verses 1, and then we'll skip down and read verses uh, 5, 6, and 7, I think. This is, by the way, almost the end of your Bible. After these things, when everything's said and done, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 5, and a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to who? To him. Do you realize from the beginning of creation all the way to the end, it will have all been done for the glory of God? Do you know the first four words of your Bible? In the beginning, God. It gives glory to God. It is all about the glory of God. May our lives... May our missions, may our purpose, may everything that we do and everything that we are be done to the glory of God. And when you do that and figure that out, life for you is going to be simple and filled with joy. Because you're fulfilling the purpose for which he created you and for which he saved you. Let's pray.